Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Welcome back to another episode of the Electrify Expo podcast, and this one is all about Electrify's Industry Day, held this season at Circuit of the Americas Velocity Lounge in Austin, Texas. Industry Day is a unique industry-only event where thought leaders, e-mobility pioneers, and legacy car manufacturers can share insights on America's ever-changing mobility landscape. One of those panels, called Catching Your Ride, EVs Shared and Owned, featured my good friend Amy Ashley, Senior Lead of Austin Energy's EV Equity Program, Drew Hopkins from Electric Car Sharing Service Envoy There, Malika Jahangiri from Hyundai North America, Alex Esposito, the CEO of EV Shuttle Service Circuit, Nick Nagel, the co-founder of Pave Motors, and Christian Russell, the CEO of an innovative short-term leasing company called Ferry Automotive. The panel was moderated by Ricky Roy, the host of 2-Bit Da Vinci on YouTube. And now, enjoy this exclusive Industry Day panel from Electrify Expo Austin. How's everybody doing today? Can you hear me? All right. So my name is Ricky Roy. I, uh, I'll be the moderator today. Um, I run a YouTube channel called 2-Bit Da Vinci. And we talked about the future of sustainability and technology, and uh, yeah. So we are really excited. We have about 30 minutes to talk about the future of catching your EV ride, owning, and sharing various different models of, uh, of EV ownership. So do you want to, let's go around and introduce the panel. Go ahead. Sure. You can hear me. Oh, there we go. Hi, my name is Drew Hopkins. I'm the Chief Growth Officer at Envoy Technologies. We provide electric car sharing as an amenity for apartments, hotels, and workplaces. Good to be here. Hello, everyone. My name is Amy Ashley. I'm with Austin Energy. It's the uh, local um, city-owned public power here in Austin. I'm on the Electric Vehicles and Emerging Technologies team, and my role is the senior lead for the EV equity program. Uh, my role is to ensure that we're bringing frameworks of equity as this new transition for new mobility is happening. Hi, Christian Russell. I am the CEO and founder of Ferry, um, recently launched in Austin, Texas. Um, and we are basically providing six, 12, 24-month leases, all EV, um, to the next generation of drivers through an app-first, uh, direct-to-door delivery platform, all-new car. Good morning, everyone. My name is Malika Jayangiri. I'm Senior Group Manager at Hyundai Motor America, and I'm in charge with bringing new mobility initiatives to North America. Good morning. Uh, I'm Alex Esposito. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Circuit, and we're an all-electric last-mile shuttle service. So we work with cities, large companies, campuses, stadiums to offer on-demand shared rides within zero to three-mile coverage areas. All right, so that's a really diverse background and a good group of people, I think, for this conversation. So we'll jump right into it with, a, with the first question, which is, with the pandemic, what behavior changes have you been seeing with shared mobility? Yeah, I think, uh, so we do, like I said, we do electric car sharing at uh, apartments, hotels, and workplaces. Uh, we saw, uh, you know, at the very beginning of the lockdowns, we went, oh my gosh, is shared mobility gone forever? What, what is gonna happen here? And uh, initially we did see a big utilization drop, but 
quickly thereafter, we saw the best utilization we've actually ever seen as a company. And it was interesting. We saw, we started surveying some of our, our members and our drivers, and the residents were saying that they didn't feel comfortable with being in another car with another stranger, like an Uber or Lyft. They weren't feeling comfortable with Metro. Ridership for that was dropping. But they did feel comfortable with something that they shared just with their neighbors. They're already sharing the, the elevator with them, but they can get in the car by themselves, and they can be themselves, maybe wipe down the steering wheel a little quick, and they can have their own, their own uh, space to be, to be driving around. So we, shot, we saw a lot of hope in that, and actually we've seen the, the ridership even continue to grow as also even people are finding more new, more new mobility options. And even getting back to those other options like Uber, Lyft, Metro, it actually just helps push people away from having to have a two-car family to allow them to be a one-car family or one car to no car. And so actually I think it's going to be propelling the, the, the shared mobility um, even further. So that's what we saw. Yeah, and I think in Austin it was really quite interesting. We saw sort of a huge uptick in e-bikes. Um, we did see some ridership on our public transit go down, but we saw the transition of people getting on electric bikes, using our electric bike share system that's in, in the city of Austin. Um, but we, we say um, on our team we're super excited because we think this is the year of the e-bikes, and it, it's definitely us providing our rebates to help people get into those um, um, different types of micromobility, but it's been exciting to see sort of e-bikes take off. It's interesting that you said that because City Bike actually had a 70% increase in utilization in April of 2020 from the year prior. So we saw that when the pandemic happened, the cities were asking people to take the scooters off the streets. They're also telling people to take the car sharing off the streets because of the worry about contamination and sharing. But once they kind of realize that that's not so much the case and also that um, this is an essential business for people. We saw all of those services coming back and people utilizing them, like Drew said, at the highest rates you know, anyone has ever seen because people didn't feel comfortable using other modes of transportation and this was a way for them to mitigate their own risk within the COVID crisis. And so we saw a higher increase in service. I personally um, am my carless home living in downtown LA and you know, initially I gave up my car because we travel a lot and we found it to be more economical to do it this way, and I live right above the metro, so I use these services all the time, but in COVID, it ended up costing me more because I was using them a lot more and wanting to have that available to me, so I was very grateful that it was still around. That's great, yeah, so we were talking in the green room before we came out here, but two trends we've seen during the last like 18 months or so is one, people working from home and figuring out maybe we can just work from our, wherever we live, which means maybe we don't need a car or a second car, as Drew mentioned. But then the second trend is anybody who lives like in the suburbs, you guys have probably seen your house values all just spike as everybody's trying to maybe move out a little bit further away and have more space. So I don't know if these are trends that are permanent, if we'll go back in a couple of years or what the case might be, but there's interesting shifts that are gonna kind of define the future for sure. All right, second question. Um, this is a good one. So this one is, what are the two biggest hurdles about adopting an EV lifestyle? Um, I can take that one. I think uh, there are two things. One is obviously infrastructure. Um, and the second is actually really creating uh, thoughtful and substantial public-private partnerships on a city level, on a state level, on a national level, um, something we did very early with Ferry was kind of lever hard on that, and everyone thought it was a bit insane 
um, literally in the first months of our company to have you know folks that we're talking to in DC and in Austin and um, but it's actually been a huge benefit to us because we're able to work in a much more synergistic way with with these cities where really it all begins with the city and how the city is going to think through um, how they're going to nurture and en engage and support new driving behaviors whether that's ride share whether that's um, direct-to-consumer ownership like we're doing whether that's um, other modes of public transport so I think that you know, we're in an interesting position right now, right? We basically, it's like we've built the train cars, but we haven't built the railroad tracks. So right now, we're trying to basically do both at the same time. So that's extraordinarily difficult. Um, so it does require a lot of coordination. I was in London two days ago speaking with, on a panel with BMW and uh, Ford and some other OEMs and and that is kind of like very very top of mind for them is thinking through how are we actually gonna we can make a great product but ultimately if there's no place to charge them this is this is a huge problem so all the chip shortage stuff okay that's solvable over time but we need to make people feel secure that they can get an e-car that they can get from here to Houston from here to uh, you know, Lafayette, Louisiana, and back without having to run into, uh, you know, a problem. Yeah, and I'm just going to speak on that as well. I think infrastructure is highly important. People have to trust that if they are going to change their lifestyle, that they can actually live that lifestyle. So one of the things that we're doing at Hyundai is creating an uh, EV uh, subscription service so that our customers and new customers who may not be exposed to our electric vehicles to be able to try before they buy and see how they would be able to adjust with an electric vehicle in their day-to-day -day life. But on top of that, you know, I work for a car company, so the product has to be good. And I think in its infancy, you know, the Nissan Leaf and maybe the Fiat 500e, which you experienced, uh, the range wasn't so great, and people couldn't trust that they could be able to get through um, an entire day using that car. But now the cars are so much better and better designed and have better range. We were coming out with the Ionic 5, which is actually out here, and it's actually a pretty incredible car. Once we have better products out there, we'll have better utilization, I believe. Yeah, I mean, the, also to the, the, sorry, just sorry. The, the Ionic 5 is a stunning car. Like, <laughs> literally, you. and I, and she didn't pay me to say this. <laughs> I had the opportunity to drive it a few months ago um, in Europe. But it's a stunning, stunning car, but there doesn't seem to be an easy way for people to acquire those. So I've got orders in with, like, seven different local Hyundai stores. It's very just, popular. Yeah. So, so... This is kind of part of the problem, too, is that I think OEMs are less equipped to solve for the last mile in terms of the user experience. So customers are basically, you know, they're used to dealing with dealerships, and we have dealer franchise laws, and that creates um, an extraordinary amount of friction in some cases with EVs because dealers want servicing revenue. They don't want an EV which has an extraordinary lifespan and doesn't have the same service interval. So... I think, and this is something that I think a lot of OEMs are coming to now, is saying, how do we, okay, now suddenly we know we have to embrace a new direct-to-consumer model, like a subscription, but are we equipped to do that? We build beautiful, beautiful cars, but 
owning that user experience has been the domain of dealers for 100 years. So now, as we look more at an app-first future, then it really requires like more product, more Silicon Valley-centric thinking about how that relationship happens and how we create those extraordinary delight points that I think the next generation of drivers really require to feel like they're part of um, a relationship versus just what kind of happens at a dealer with the shitty coffee and the, you know, <laughs> shitty pastries or whatever. Yeah, we talked to the dealers quite a bit as well, and also just the OEMs in general, and just the the what you were talking about, Melika, before being able to try before you buy, I think, is extremely important. You're trying to get people to shift their mindset a bit and understand how is an EV going to actually you know, fit in your lifestyle. And it's not only about range, which is the biggest question people ask about range all the time. But how how does charging work? Even if I, you know, I charge on the on the go, or do I charge at home? Most people are going to be charging at home, but also most people are going to be living in multi-unit dwellings and apartments and stuff like that as well. So, on the infrastructure piece, finding that solution in multi-unit dwellings is is really key, and then having that try before you buy um, experience and app-based as well. So that's why we firmly believe that like car sharing, like we're offering for apartments is key. It's, it's convenient. It's right at your home. It's in mostly at times apartments, so we're helping with the charging side as well. But you really get to try it out. Maybe if you want to just try it for a couple hours, you know, go run some errands. Maybe you have to find a charging station for the first time. And we get to actually educate with the, the residents that live there about this isn't going to be very... Um, scary anymore. You just This is how you plug it in. We do a lot of education. You're just seeing that light bulb moment of, okay, it's not as scary as I thought. This is how you plug it in. They sit in the car for the first time. They see two pedals and a steering wheel. It's pretty familiar. Uh, yeah, it's quiet, but that's pretty, that's pretty awesome as well. And then they get to feel the, the acceleration. And then they're sold. They're absolutely sold. And you can't, you can't come back from it. So having these different options, subscriptions are awesome. I think car sharing is great as well. So these ideas be able to have some, some sort of accessibility point so that it's, it's a low, you know, low, uh, low commitment to be able to try it out first before you can really get, get hooked. And then once you're hooked, you're, there's no turning back. So, yeah, I have a YouTube channel, and I've, I get the pleasure of seeing a lot of different people's perspectives, you know, avid EV fans all the way to people who hate them and, 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 and people in between. But one common thread I always get is a, a sense of, like, I don't know if I trust it yet. This is this new technology that's not proven. Um, I get you know, comments like, my iPhone battery doesn't last after two years. I'd rather not buy a car for $60,000 that loses half its charge after that period of time. So there's... There's generally just education around them. And, and I think as everybody here has mentioned, really the key is just getting butts in seats. I, I, bought, a, uh, I bought my first DV, I bought a Tesla a couple years ago, but I work from home, my wife works from home. We barely needed any cars at all. So we decided to tour the car because I wanted to have tons of miles on it and get to be able to like understand like how the car is holding up. So my car right now is out on a Turo rental for somebody who kept it for 11 days because they were like, I don't want to have a weekend with it. I want to understand, like, Monday morning I wake up, I go to work, what do I charge? On the weekend, I want to go to L.A., what do I do? And they wanted to have, like, a full experience with the car. And when he comes back from it, he's probably going to buy one. And that's kind of been my experience is, uh, I think, from my 25 or 30 rentals, like, 17 people have bought cars afterwards. So 
if anybody who has an EV, if you have neighbors and stuff, one of the best things to do is just let them know like your experience with it, like day to day, because a lot of it really is an unknown for for people. That's yeah, exactly I would just, why we created our EV subscription service as well, is for people yeah. to get exposure to the brand, you know, who might typically not be exposed to it or considering getting an EV, and they only think about the Tesla. Well, there's other cars, and you know, our range is actually pretty conservative with what it actually can do. And so people can try it and see what it would be like if I want to take it for longer. And we actually have a lot of our subscribers saying that after they try it, they buy it. And so we want to have people more exposed to the brand. I just want to add something, too, because really, essentially, the fundamental thing here is, is education. It's marketing and outreach and education. And one of the things that we're doing at Austin Energy is we've created a really cool program. It's called EVs for Schools. And it combines electric vehicle charging infrastructure at public schools, combining that with EV curriculum. We're working with kids um, from sixth grade all the way through 12th. They are so excited by this content because these kids realize that climate impact is going to be one of the greatest challenges of their generation. They want to be part of the solution. So they're, getting, they're seeing their heroes, their teachers, plugging in their used EVs. We have a lot of teachers in Austin that are driving used EVs, and they're plugging into this infrastructure. Then they're getting the curriculum. They're taking this um, excitement and conversation at home, and the, ch the, the conversation at the dinner table has changed. They're starting to talk about EVs, and now they're seeing themselves in these vehicles. The parents are seeing themselves in, in these vehicles. So we have a lot of technology around all this, and the most important thing is that people are not getting lost in the technology. And the way we do it is we do it through outreach, we do it through education, ride and drives. Um, we help normalize um, electric vehicles and really demystify the fear of, of change. Yeah, it's so true. For us, education is like baked into our user value proposition. So we, like if you go to ferryauto.com or go search for ferry car on the app store, you basically immediately have access to a ferry ambassador who is there in real time to kind of guide you through any questions you have about the EV experience. How does my charging work? Is there a charger included with the car? Where can I charge locally? We have, you know, uh, charge points built into our GPS system. So it's, I think the education piece is so, so key because, and then back to the equity piece, you know, the, the, the sort of hidden secret is that Teslas are for the 1%, basically. So how do we get more people in cars for the other 98, 99% of drivers that can't afford a Tesla? Um, and then how do we bring more new cars into the market that then are pushed into the aftermarket at a price point that someone that isn't earning $300,000 a year can afford? So the biggest impact we can make on folks that are lower on the income scale is giving them an opportunity to get into an EV because they save an extraordinary amount of money. Think of the percentage of the paycheck of someone that's commuting to work every day on a gas-powered car versus charging that every morning. That's literally could be half a third of their entire paycheck every year. So there's a huge, huge equ equity component to this as well. That's yeah, why you have to have different options. Like Envoy is giving a different type of service where people can try it in a different capacity and not commit to it. You're offering a different service where people can try it and not commit to it in the same capacity. And then there's uh, the Ionics and the Teslas of the world that are for those other types of people. So it's all about giving 
other options for people so that they can feel that there's one, not one type of solution, but multiple ways in which they can try an EV and live that EV lifestyle. Well, and that includes micro-mobility as well, electric yep. bikes. Um, we have done hundreds of e-bike demos, and we are working actually with affordable housing, not only on electric vehicle infrastructure, but also providing that experience of riding e-bikes. Um, we have a, a product that's going to be going uh, to market with a pilot that we are launching um, with a multifamily uh, unit that's going to provide electric bike docking and charging, charging for residents. And, it is in affordable housing. So we really are working on an ecosystem of mobility that is electric, powered on electric. Um, we are really working, this is another point, is to um, you know, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Our, we have goals that are set here in Austin, like many cities, um, to, to get to net zero by 2040. In order to do that in Austin, the way that our city council has um, instructed us to go after this is that by 2030, 40% of miles traveled by vehicles on the road in Austin will be electric by, by 2030. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Yeah, we, we, so we worked closely with Austin Energy and the Austin City Council on passing a resolution that actually will accelerate this transition for the 60, 70,000 city employees or county employees. So this is really, really, really important. Um, and again, we also want folks that are able to get into a Kona E, for instance, at a price point that isn't $50,000, $60,000. So it really has to be a balance of, of creating the opportunity zones for these folks, creating, um, you know, more availability of cars at different terms, more transparency, and at a cost that gives them that opportunity to try to get a sense of what it feels to be in an EV. Because once you go EV, you don't go back. I mean, in my, my experience, so. Yeah, and as we were just saying earlier too, with the public-private partnerships and with utility partnerships, it's really, it's really key, especially for the disadvantaged communities, which are oftentimes in the most polluted areas as well. So cleaning up the air quality there is extremely, uh, uh, important, it's essential. It's also providing a transportation that is essential as well. A lot, of the, a lot of these communities either don't have cars or they don't have reliable cars. So getting them into something new is is really, uh, again, I guess keep using the words essential. But that's what we kept on hearing also from our drivers. We did a few partnerships. We've got about 100 vehicles up in the Sacramento and Bay Area in low-income disadvantaged communities. And our drivers rely on these cars. They need it. And also, they're not normally the first technology adapt adapters for new technology. So getting them up to the, the front of there, that's really exciting for them as well. And also, it's getting some of the, if they do have some of the cars that are the most polluting cars, the older kind of more polluting cars, getting those off the roads and getting them into these EVs, it's just like a, a triple, uh, triple threat, you know, being able to actually uh, make the most impact that we, uh, that we can. And I think these, these, are, um, you know, these programs really help push that along as well. Part of it is just we need all the car makers to build more EVs. There's, I mean, supply chains are very difficult for EVs and battery supply. There's, it's a lot of complications right now. Getting a lot of the EVs from a lot of the car companies is really difficult. I live in San Diego, which is pretty much like the best place you can have an EV. And even there, you have to drive like 100 miles to get various models. Like uh, I had a neighbor who just bought an ID4, drove 100 miles to get one. Other cars, a friend of mine just messaged me. He said, uh, do you want my Mach-E performance reservation? 
if you don't take it, they're gonna take it back and upscale the price $15,000 as markup because they can. It's just tough, there's a shortage and, and that's part of the problem is we need to just, I love seeing car companies that are investing in like battery gigafactories and things, right? We need to just, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. It's not like gas cars used to be. It's a lot more complicated, but I just wanna see the millions of EVs being built because right now it's actually kind of tough to buy any, any model of EV from any maker. Um, We'll, we'll come back to that. That might be a, a hot button issue. But let's switch gears to the next question, which is how can EVs change the rideshare and last mile experience? Yeah, uh, I've been a little quiet, but this is one I can speak about probably for the rest of the day. Um, so the last mile is a problem that we're, we're very focused on at Circuit. And I think most of us are here because of the environmental benefits of electric vehicles. But cars are really the bigger problem. Um, and traffic specifically. So in looking, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, transportation as a whole is the largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Then looking at cities, they make up about two thirds of our greenhouse gas emissions. So transportation in cities is really important. And I think your, your point about shared rides is, is what's especially important. Getting people to share EVs for short trips within cities creates an impact for the community that really echoes around the world. And it's something that I think everyone is waking up to. And by focusing in this area, we're exposing EVs to a lot more people. And we're also reducing costs. The last mile is a huge problem. So by using EVs, more people are being exposed to them. We're reducing the cost of the EVs, and we're cutting out all those emissions. And most importantly, by getting people to share EVs, we're reducing the number of cars on the road. Because if everyone just switches their cars from what they're driving today to a Tesla, there's still a cement truck stuck in traffic behind us that's polluting the city. So we need to get people out of cars and into shared cars, and I think that's, that's you know, there's, the panel is showing that there's a lot of ways to do that, or out of their cars altogether, onto scooters and bikes and other things. So, um, yeah, I think last mile is ripe for disruption, uh, especially as it relates to electric vehicles. That, that, that said, there, there certainly are use cases in which it's very impractical to not have your own car, right? If you have a family, you have, you know, you're, you're juggling kids, groceries, all these things. So a lot of our growth we're seeing are actually folks that have lived in a city, maybe single, in a relationship. Suddenly they have kids, and they maybe move slightly outside of the city, so it's the urban versus exurban, and you know they need a car that can actually accommodate a car seat and a few other things. So you know, there, there's, we need both to happen, and I think um, you know, we're not gonna get rid of all the cars on the road because people, and it's fundamentally American to want to drive, right? Um, to have that sense of, of, of kind of perceived ownership. But I, I do think um, we are gonna see an extraordinary amount of innovation around all these different models in the space and it's gonna benefit the consumer ultimately, which should be the goal. There, yeah, I think, just to comment, I'm sorry, Amy, but uh, I think, obviously, we, we're going to need cars, you know, it's not a, but one of the big problems is a third of all vehicle trips in the country, about 150 billion trips a year, are two miles or less. And so that's really the spot that needs to be addressed, because you do need a car if you live in the suburbs or in the country, uh, but you really don't need a car to go eight blocks down the road, and unfortunately, a lot of people use cars for those types of trips. Yeah. And it's really interesting, because microtransit has, uh, sorry, 
micromobility has completely changed my life. You know, I live in downtown LA and I use it almost every single day. I actually have three scooters of my own and it's always less than a mile that I need to go and otherwise I would have to walk, which sometimes is inconvenient, but I can scoot to my workout or even I can go do groceries and put the bag on my shoulder. So it makes a huge difference and I think as OEMs and other startups are thinking about how they want to become more innovative, we're going to start thinking about like creating multimodality and also how do we integrate with different types of services. You know, we don't need to, as Hyundai, to do everything. You know, there's others that are doing it maybe better. And a great example of that is Uber partnering with Lime instead of having their own service. Even though they acquired Jump, they realize that maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have it. But instead, they integrate with others who are doing it just as well or maybe even better. And so we will also be considering those kinds of things and how do we kind of make these different services available to our customers and also integrating with public transit. And you know, we really believe in the infrastructure and we've dedicated $7.4 billion to better infrastructure in North America by Hyundai. And so we want to contribute to helping to fix this. Yeah, and I would just add that, you know, first and last mile solutions are, are really around um, providing ladders of opportunity for people for employment. Um, there's a study that if you Google, Google search it, it's um, ongoing study by Harvard that talks about upward mobility. And it states that, um, you know, breaking the, po the, the cycle of poverty um, transportation is the number one factor that can help, you know, really lift people out of poverty. And it's because it's giving people access to transportation, which gives them access to new jobs. Um, if they have that connectivity with, um, for example, like a bike share, like you were talking about our scooter, to get through that, that three miles, just, just one mile too far to walk. Um, they can get to a bus route that will take them to a new job, and they can um, break that cycle um, of poverty. They can, um, you know, make more money. And, and really, it's, it's, all, it's all about that connectivity um, and uplifting uh, the community and how do we utilize transportation for people's daily needs. And, you know, it's not going to be for everyone, but not everyone has the luxury of buying a vehicle family or not. And so we're trying to figure out how do all of these services work together. I think this is a, a really nice panel that really combines all of the ecosystem that we're talking about here today. Yeah, so uh, we have to start wrapping it up here. Um, thank you guys so much for, for joining us today. And thank you all of you for taking time this morning to come sit with us. Um, you know, I was just thinking, we have had cars, we could have ride share with gas cars, right? So why are we talking about these different models now with EVs? And part of it is the electric vehicle does kind of fundamentally shift how, how, we, how various different business models can work. So, for example, if you have a car that could easily operate for hundreds of thousands of miles with very minimal maintenance, that is a game changer in terms of like, like short-term rentals and in cities and everything else. So it's an exciting time. I think there's a lot happening. There's chip shortages and there's wait lists for everything. That just goes for cars in general and everything else. But... Um, this too will pass. I think eventually we'll emerge, and um, the electric vehicle is going to be one of those central tenants of, of all kinds of future opportunities and, and business models and everything else. And we're kind of you know, in a very exciting time. I hope you guys all kind of see, this, see the same way I do. But thank you so much for uh, joining us all. Um, I think uh, we can probably wrap it up at this point. Thank you.
The Electrify Expo podcast is brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, America's largest e-mobility festival featuring the hottest electrified brands and products in the e-mobility sector. The Electrify Expo is coming to five major cities in 2022, so be sure to subscribe and don't miss out. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.